Well, hey, you guys, it's Tomes of Terror time. Once again, this is my book review series. So way back at the end of November of 2022, an author named Alan Goldborn, I guess is how you pronounce his last name, uh, he contacted me through email and he actually offered to send me a couple of his novels for review. And of course, you know, I accepted because, you know, free books. Hey, that's like one of my very favorite things, right? Uh, now, I actually do regret that it's taken me this long to get around to reading one of them. But as some of you might have noticed, I haven't been putting up as many Tomes of Terror like recently because I got really, really behind on my reading during the holidays. So, you know, this is a failing that I've been trying to rectify. Like now that the new year is kind of upon us, the holidays are over. So I'm really trying to get back into, you know, my reading one book a week and putting up a video about it kind of thing that I was doing before. So he sent me two books, but the one I decided to start with was actually his second novel. I didn't know like which one was the first one, which one was the second one. I just like chose this one because it sounded interesting. So this one is like the, uh, it came out in 2022 and it's a supernatural murder mystery called The 666 Murders. Uh, he also sent me a copy of his first novel, which is called uh, From... Famuli Canai, I guess is how you pronounce it. Uh, so I'll eventually get around to that one as well. So um, the reason I picked this one first is because, you know, I, I love murder mysteries. And the premise of this one, like I said, sounded really interesting. So I just kind of uh, dived right into it. So this author, uh, in case I didn't mention it, is British. He's actually from Essex. So the story of the 666 murders uh, takes place in 1966, mostly in and around London, uh, but some events take place in France as well. So our main character is like a private investigator named Randolph Landon. Now at the start of the story, um, he's been going through some shit, right? Um, him and his wife Thelma are, they're kind of doing a trial separation type of thing. Like they haven't really fought or anything like that, but you know, they were having some problems. They still love each other and they're still on good terms. But uh, the wife, whose name is Thelma, she took the couple's eight-year-old son, Matthew, like up to Lincolnshire to stay with her parents and really only comes down to visit every few weeks. They're still trying to like sort some stuff out. Um, and Randolph really misses them, like misses his wife and son. So he's kind of like depressed about that. Also, uh, the detective work has really been drying up lately, uh, so much so that he's afraid that he's not going to be able to afford the rent on his kind of rundown flat or his rundown office anymore. Uh, you know, so he's kind of just worried that he's going to be unemployed and broke like before too long. He only has one case pending at the beginning of the novel. Uh, this elderly woman has hired him to find her absconded chihuahua, whose name is Peanut. Uh, but so far, like Randolph hasn't had any luck tracking down the dog and he actually won't get the rest of his fee until the dog turns up, whether the dog's alive or dead. So he's like kind of, he's kind of at, you know, he's like, this is all he has going on. So he's really like upset that he hasn't been able to find this damn dog. So not surprisingly, uh, Randolph has kind of been drowning his sorrows a little bit uh, at the local pub, kind of lamenting the shambles that his life has become. Uh, he has like some good friends like around the place that he kind of knows. And he's actually built up some goodwill like with the local police after he helped them out like with a child kidnapping case like at some point in the recent past. But, you know, all of these connections that he has haven't really seemed to have been all that much help in scaring up more business. And like I said, he's kind of worried that he's going to be broke soon. 
Now, the police, by the way, uh, have actually had their hands pretty full for the last few weeks, like prior to the events of the novel. Uh, There have been two horribly, horribly gruesome murders, like in this immediate area. Both of the victims were found with their hearts cut out. And there were also all of these weird items left at the scenes. So it appears that whoever did these murders like was involved in the occult because like the killings definitely look like kind of ritualistic sacrifices of some kind. Now, Randolph has been following the murder case in the papers, like as pretty much everybody has, um, but he doesn't really have like a direct stake in the investigation, at least not at first. Um, So because he's kind of like depressed, but he's also like very, very tenacious and he's unwilling to let down a client, he vows that he is going to find that damn chihuahua, Peanut, (laughs) like come hell or high water. I mean, it's his only case. He doesn't have anything else going on. And he's like, well, just there's no excuse for me not devoting all my time and resources to it because what the fuck else have I got to do, right? Now, in the course of asking around about Peanut, He happens to cross paths with a Romani woman named Miss Albescu. Uh, She's actually camped in Hyde Park uh, with the rest of her clan, with the rest of her group, whatever. Now, when he when he first approaches her, she hasn't seen the dog at first, but Randolph like gives her his information. They kind of flirt a little bit because she's real pretty and all that. Um, and a bit later, she actually does spot Peanut like scampering around. And so she immediately calls Randolph and says, hey, I saw the dog like you might want to come down here and like, you know, see if you can get him. So Randolph rushes down there and chases the little fucker. But during the course of pursuing the dog, like through, it's kind of like the middle of the night, like through these kind of like really dark and empty streets, which is like kind of creepy. Randolph actually hears a man screaming and he follows it. Cause he's like, Hey, maybe the guy needs help, obviously. And he eventually comes across another murder scene, which looks like it just happened like only a few minutes before. So the victim is naked and he's like bent unnaturally backwards. Um, and he has his neck is broken and his heart is removed. And just like in the first two murders, cause this is the third one, uh, there are occult things going on at the scene. Like there's a pentagram on the floor and there's black candles, like at all the points, like burning with these really weird, like green flames. So Randolph of course is uh, pretty freaked out by this as you would be. And he's also, like, really, really guilty that he didn't get there soon enough, like, to save the man from this horrible murder. So the police are very understanding. Like, they do question him, obviously, but they don't, like, think he's a suspect or anything because they know him, you know what I mean? He's been working with them for a while. Um, And they actually kind of... They don't involve him in the case directly, but they do kind of give him, like, a little bit of information about the investigation and stuff. Meanwhile, uh, Peanut is recovered uh, safe and unharmed, uh, and he returns Peanut to the elderly lady who owned him and gets the rest of his fee. But now it seems uh, he's completely unemployed because that Peanut thing, that was like the last case that he had going on, and now that's been resolved. So he's like, well, I guess I'm unemployed now. So he actually goes to visit uh, the Romany woman, Miss Albescu, to kind of like thank her for helping him find the dog. And she offers him a free palm reading. Now, in the course of this, though, she seems to have a vision of something unpleasant, like in his future, 
And basically just, she doesn't really know exactly what it is. It's just like a bad feeling that she has. So she basically says to Randolph, like, be careful, just be on guard um, and beware of like a certain symbol. Like she can't really articulate what it is that she sees, um, but she knows that there's probably something bad and he just needs to like watch his back. So Randolph, not gonna lie, is a little bit, I guess, annoyed by how vague her predictions are. And he's also, like, real disheartened by, you know, the lack of work, obviously. So Randolph is kind of bummed. He heads back to his office, but as luck would have it, a new client arrives just in the nick of time. And this new client is a very beautiful and very sophisticated woman named Clarette Andrews. And she wishes to engage Randolph's services. She believes that her husband, Timothy, who is this very, very wealthy owner of like a chain of luxury hotels, has been cheating on her and she's willing to pay Randolph uh, quite a princely sum to follow Timothy around and see what he's up to because he's been acting kind of suspicious. So Randolph is pretty grateful for this. Uh, he does feel a little bit uncomfortable with like how much the woman is paying him, but she also has a business and she's also quite wealthy in her own right and doesn't really seem to mind. Now, in the course of tailing her husband, Timothy Andrews, around England and France, because I guess they like they have a villa there and things like that, Randolph actually ends up becoming involved in something that is a lot bigger and a lot more sinister than just like a little piddling extramarital affair. Turns out, in fact, that Timothy is not cheating on his wife at all. Actually, he quite adores his wife and would never do such a thing. But what he has been doing and didn't really want to involve her in it is that he's been low-key investigating the very mysterious disappearance of... I guess, like, his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend, who he's not, like, um, sleeping with or anything like that, but he is, like, a good friend of hers, although they hadn't, hadn't kind of spoken for a long time. But she, like, disappeared, and he was worried about her because it was, like, unlike her. So um, her name's Natalie Connors. So that's what he's been doing, like, going back and forth to France and stuff like that. And this other woman he's been seen with is, like, actually Natalie's assistant. So he's been trying to find her and didn't really want to tell his wife because he might he thought she might think it was weird or whatever. Now... Natalie Connors, the woman that disappeared, is an archaeologist, and she had recently discovered this very bizarre find, like, in this sort of, like, cave or this underground kind of thing in France, like, with some skeletons and, like, some weird stuff like that. So over the course of the novel, then, uh, the seemingly unrelated threads of the archaeologist's disappearance in France and all of these grisly, like, ritualistic murders taking place in London kind of slowly start to come together. And uh, poor Randolph, you know, since he got sucked into this whole thing being, uh, you know, because eventually he gets uh, hired by Timothy, like, to help him look for the archaeologist, he kind of finds himself caught in the middle of this supernatural shitstorm, I guess, of, like, epic proportions. And probably, I'm going to say, kind of, like, biblical proportions, too, a little bit. So I actually enjoyed this book uh, quite a bit. It was pretty good. Uh, I love detective stories. 
And this one kind of had a little bit of a noir vibe to it that I found really appealing. It's the way it was kind of set up reminded me a little bit of maybe like Chinatown where it was just kind of like, oh, you're, you know, it's a PI and they're investigating what they think is initially like a, an affair, but then it turns out to be something. Of, I mean, obviously I know Chinatown didn't have <laughs> Satanism and stuff like that in it, but it's kind of the same thing where you just get sucked in this thing and you think it's one thing, but it turns out to be this big complicated other thing. So it kind of like um, came across a little bit like that. Um, I also really liked the juxtaposition of this kind of like hard-boiled investigator meeting like essentially like satanic forces or kind of like a witchcraft type, type of thing. It's kind of, I guess, it's kind of along the same lines as maybe something like The Omen or The Believers. That kind of reminded me of The Believers or like The First Power or something like that. If you remember that movie with Lou Diamond Phillips where it's just kind of like a realistic pi type story like investigative type story but then also with like supernatural or like witchcraft or occult like elements to it so it's kind of like that now the novel is quite long uh clocks in at about 500 pages but i actually finished it in probably just a few hours i think it's it, like over two days you know what i mean like you know two out two or three hours here two or three hours there so it didn't really take me all that long to read it because even though it seemed like at first it seemed like there was a lot of just disparate elements that seemed like they didn't have anything to do with one another. Like slowly everything kind of started to come together a little bit. So, and I was kind of curious as to how everything was going to connect to each other. Now that said, I did have a few minor nitpicks with it. I will say that while the writing was refreshingly almost completely free of grammatical errors, which you guys know what a big deal that is for me. I was like, woo, hallelujah. Uh, you know what I mean? It was very, the tone of it was very, I'm going to call it like expositional, you know what I mean? Particularly in regards to the dialogue. Like there were passages where one character would give kind of like this long expository monologue to like some other characters. And while this was all necessary information that, you know, had to be imparted to the reader, I kind of wish that there had been like maybe a more elegant way of conveying the information, you know what I mean? Rather than having somebody like monologue, because at times it sounded like expositional. Like I said, it didn't sound like a natural way of talking. Like it didn't sound like somebody talking naturally. It sounded like somebody like expositing, you know what I mean? So it just kind of sounded like that. Because of that, I think at times like the dialogue of all the different characters kind of tended to sound the same because they were just kind of giving a rundown of information that the reader needed to know. Um, so it was kind of at times difficult to tell who was talking because the characters didn't really have their own distinct voices. They were just basically, you got less the impression that they were just like talking like naturally than they were just like, here's all this information you need to know. Like I said, very expository. Um, the bad guy too seemed a little bit like a Bond villain, like toward the end. He didn't really talk through most of the, uh, of the book, but then like at the end, he like starts talking like a motherfucker. Um, and he was like describing exactly what he's going to do and kind of like gloating over it and things. But probably he should have just done what he was going to do without explaining it, which, you know, gives the good guys time to fuck him up. Like I said, it was kind of like a Bond villain type situation. That's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit. There were also kind of like a lot of just kind of small talk interactions and scenes with Randolph just kind of going about his day and like talking to various people that he knew, like the newspaper guy, like the bartender, the man who cleaned his office building, who was a friend of his, that didn't really end up factoring into the plot in any way, probably really didn't need to be included. It did give some kind of like 
I guess, context to this, not really context, but just like a little bit of character to the story, I guess, like you got to know him a little bit better, but I don't know if a lot of that stuff needed to be in there really, because it didn't really seem to come to anything. Some of the conversations too, I felt like were slightly repetitive, like something would happen and then a scene or two later, Randolph would be telling someone else what happened when we had already read about it. Or the same thing happened too. Sometimes it's like, oh, well, we got this information. And then like, it, it would be repeated a couple of times, like, well, different characters were telling it to different people. You know what I mean? When that probably didn't need to be in there either. And also I think there were actually a couple of maybe anachronisms that I noticed. Like the story was, like I said, was set in 1966. And the police were very freely using the term serial killer, which as far as I know, didn't really come into common usage until the 70s, like maybe around 1974, something like that. And in this story, they were even saying, oh, it's three victims now. Now it's a serial killer. And I don't know if anybody in 1966 would have phrased it that way. Now, the phrase serial murderer, I think, had been an occasional use, like since maybe about the 1930s. Um, I'm not saying that nobody had ever used the term serial killer like in 1966, for example, but I just don't think it was a common, uh, you know, in the way that people use it nowadays. I don't think it was that common. Um, Some of the characters also I kind of felt like used other turns of phrase, which sounded a little bit too modern to my ears. But this might have been just a case of like, you know, British English versus American English. So I'm not entirely sure. I'm not all that familiar with British English from the 60s. So I don't know like if some of the phrases were, you know, in common usage back then or whatever. So I'm not going to get like all that upset about it. So overall, like I said, this was actually pretty good. It was a pretty uh, intriguing read and a pretty fun uh, detective story with kind of an undercurrent of you know, the occult or black magic, witchcraft, stuff like that. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, then, uh, you know, then give it a shot and let me know what you think about it. Uh, As I said, I got uh, copies from the author himself, but I believe if you have Kindle Unlimited, um, I think at least this book, you can read it for free on there. So if it sounds interesting, go check it out and tell me what you think about it in the comments. And that will do it for this Tomes of Terror. I'll see you guys again on the next one. Bye.